Parshas Bereshis is my favorite parsha, And the reason that it is, is that to me it represents a new beginning. We're able to start everything new, whatever was last year, whatever was in last uh, cycle of the Torah, for good or for not so perfect, it's behind us now, and now HaKadosh Baruch Hu, every Parshas Barashas gives us the ability to begin again, begin anew. And there's something extremely exciting and fresh and redeeming about that. And so when we begin Parshas Barashas, it gives us a new inspiration to look at Sukkim that we always thought we knew, look at it in a different light, from a different perspective, think about things fresh, be macabre on ourselves, make new resolutions, Mirza Hashem Blineder, how we'll learn better this year and we'll learn deeper, we'll chazer. This morning I wanted to touch upon a pasuk in this week's parsha, And I wanted to preface that pasuk with the famous rule that we all know, that the first time that something appears in the Torah is the source and the foundation for that concept. This is something that's brought by many, many svarim, and there's a lot of, uh, of depth to it if you really explore every time the Torah says something for the first time. It could be a lot of it is obviously going to be early in the Torah, but sometimes it appears much later in the Torah. But whenever you find a concept at the initial stage in the Torah, the first time the Torah touches upon it, that is going to be a, uh, a yisoid. You're going to find there that um, there's a lot of uh, secrets and, uh, and truths to be gotten from that particular place. The Pasuk says in this week's parsha on Parak Bey's Pasuk Yod Zayin, Vayehi Baina Ir, Vayikra Shem Ha'ir, Keshem that there was a builder, he built the city, and he called the city's name after the name of his son, Chanaich. So the first time that the Torah refers to a city, to an ear, we refer to it as Chanaich. The first city's name in the Torah is Chanaich, and that means that there is a very strong connection between the word ear and the word Chanaich, the word uh, which is, of course, related to the word Chinuch, and we'll get to that as we go on this morning. Now, what is a city? If you think of a city, what is the first thing that pops into your mind? When I think of a city, I think of Manhattan. Think of the skyline of Manhattan. Or uh, perhaps if you're from Europe, you'll think of the Eiffel Tower. You'll think of, uh, of some of the great European cities, Buckingham Palace and uh, uh, Big Ben. If you're from Russia, you'll start thinking about the Moscow and the Kremlin, the great architectural wonders of the world. Rav Shamshin Hirsch writes that the word ear 
is from a lashon of to awaken, to be ma'erer. Why? He writes, city life awakens man's creativity. When you're living in a, in a farm, in a very rural area, you're living in Iowa or something with a cornfield somewhere in middle America, so you do your job every day and you milk the cows and you plant the seeds and you, uh, you do what farmers do, but there's no great creativity necessarily inherent in that life, in that lifestyle. When a person lives in a city, teeming with many people, with many intellectual people, with a lot of uh, technology around, with a lot of means of transportation, communication, and city life inspires a person. Now, you could be inspired also by occasionally going out of the city. It's important to see, um, you know, the ocean and the, uh, and the, and the horizons and the, uh, the sea and, and the, uh, the birds and, and all that. That's also very inspirational. But what really is able, says Rav Hirsch, to inspire a person's creativity, to awaken a person's creativity, to be ma'erer, all of the greatness that lurks inside of man, a city is able to bring that out in a person. And that's why he says the word ear, not coincidentally, is from the same shayrish as to be ma'ayrer, to awaken, to stir, because the creative juices in a person are able to really be felt and, and realized and tapped into when a person is able to live in a city. But what is a city? How exactly do you define a city? Which cities are we talking about? So the way I was uh, presenting it up until now is the great cities of the world, the great metropolises, the, the New Yorks and the Parises and the Londons and the Moscows, those are cities that are definitely very, very large on the map of the world. Those are in the bold letters and the stars appearing on the map because those represent the major, major cities. But I'm here this morning to submit to you that that's not the type of city that really inspires creativity. There's a story that I saw recently involving the Panovich Arov, who is my personal hero. I speak about him constantly. And he once went to a chasna of a very chashiva Talmud of his in Panovich, in the Panovich Yeshiva, and they were making the chasna in, in the Ulam Vagshal, the Vagshal Hall, if you remember I spoke about that also. I think it was the, uh, the last shmuz of... Uh, of the Zman last, last year, uh, uh, last Zman, I should say, in, in Elul, which was last year. Um, and at this chasna were all of the, the, the leading Rabbeim, Rosh Yeshivas, Mashkichem of Panovich, including the Panovich Rav, who was the head of the yeshiva, of course, and then Reb Chatzko, the great mashkiach, 
Rabbi David Pavarsky, Rabbi Shach, all the great Gedele Yisrael who were the Rosh Hashivas of Panovich. In fact, uh, the Panovich Rabbi used to say that my tragedy was for Klai Yisrael's benefit. And what he meant was that very often, if you're a Rosh Hashiva, you're tempted to, and understandably so, to put as your, uh, who's going to be your Rosh Hashivas, who are you going to hire as Rosh Hashivas, as Rabbeim, as uh, Mashgichem, as uh, Shaul Meshiv, you'll put your family in. So very often you'll see a Yeshiva, and a lot of the Rabbeim are either sons or sons-in-law of the Rosh Hashiva, and the Mashkiach is uh, related somehow, and uh, and all of the people at the uh, in the staff are somehow, some way related because he wants to give everybody positions, and it's not easy to get a position in the yeshiva. So because of that, he he basically stacks the yeshiva with people that are um, that are relatives of his. So the Panovich Rav said that I don't have that. Why didn't the Panovich Rav have that? because he was not uh, fortunate to have surviving family members other than one son. One son was able to get out of the, 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 the inferno of Europe together with his father, with the Banavichirov, and that son became the president of the yeshiva, and his grandson is today the president of the yeshiva. But other than that, he didn't have any sons or sons-in-law. And so he had, what did he do? So if you don't have sons and sons-in-law, then you take the, a dream team. You have the luxury then of hiring, instead of hiring relatives who are sometimes extremely good, but sometimes you know, they're not as good as, as you could get if you would be able to go and draft somebody from the outside, outside of your family. He was able to hire Rav Shach and Rav Shmuel Rizovsky and Rav Chatzko and, uh, and Rav David Pavarsky and, and all of the great, Rav Dessler and all the great... Um, names that we know of that came out from Panovich as Rabbeim and Mashkichim and influencers, uh, they were all hired by the, by the Panovich Rav. So the Panovich Rav used to say that my personal tragedy was for the benefit of Klal Yisrael. The fact that I suffered without any um, surviving relatives, kin, is basically the reason why I was able to create such a, an outstanding Makam Taira, which Panovich was. Anyway, at this chasna, they were all sitting and eating a meal together, all of the, uh, all the rabbeim, it was already at the, uh, at the Suda part of the chasna, and a professor from South Africa approaches the Panovich and he's very, very upset, this professor. And he says, Rabbi Kahanaman, how is this young couple going to be able to support themselves. I mean, you know, you're gonna, they're going to be staying in Kailal, and, um, you know, who's going to support them? I'm not going to support them. How are they going to be able to eat? How are they going to be able to pay their rent? They're not going to be able to, to survive with your, with your system of staying in Kailal forever. Who's going to support this couple? So the Panovich was very clever, and the Panovich said, don't worry, he says, he's learning a profession in the yeshiva. We're, we're not just, you know, learning. We're, we're, we're teaching him a career. He says, ooh, very nice. What, what career is he learning? What useful profession is he, is he getting from the yeshiva? So they said, so the Panovich said, he's learning how to be a very good contractor. He's going to be able to 
build big buildings. You know, to Israel to be a contractor is like a very, very fashionable thing because they become very wealthy. They're able to build whenever you go to Eretz Yisrael, you see as far as the eye can see, cranes building more and more skyscrapers, more buildings and residential buildings and commercial buildings. So the contract is the Kablanim in Eretz Yisrael are very, they're very uh, sought after and they're very, very often successful and, and they're, they're like the spitz of society there. So the Panevich Rav said, don't worry, we're teaching him how to be a contractor. So he's going to be okay. So this professor from South Africa was very happy. He walks away very, very satisfied, back to his table, and, and the chasna continues. Now, Rabbi Yaakov Golinsky happened to be sitting right next to the Panevich Rav when the Panevich Rav sort of answered this question from this professor. And Rabbi Yaakov says, I was a little bit, like, astonished by that answer. I mean, we don't have any college courses in Panovich. We don't, uh, they weren't offering any, any miktsaya, any, any learn a career. They didn't, what's the Panovich Rav talking about? So, and I gave the Panovich Rav, like, a look, like, you know, like, what do you mean? Like, an astonished, stunned sort of look. So, the Panovich Rav looks back at me, and says, what are you looking at me like that, Rubyankov? He says, I spoke the MS Amita. I wasn't fooling the guy. I wasn't lying to him. I wasn't trying to pull the wool over his eyes. What I said to him was the MS Lamita. It's a Gemara Mefuresh Esen Brachas Dav Samachtal Aleph. And we say it by davening. V'chol banayich limude Hashem v'rav shalom banayich. All of your children are people that are limude Hashem. They are people that are familiar and educated by the Rabbeinu Shleilam. The Rav Shalem Banayach, and there are, and there are there's much peace amongst your sons. It's a pasuk in Yeshaya, and the Gemara Darshins Al Tikre Banayach Ela Banayach. Don't read it, your sons Banayach, but rather Banayach. Read it, your builders. Which means to say that Tamide Chachamim are considered to be contractors. They're considered to be builders. And the Panovich Rav continues and he says to Rabbi Yaakov Galinsky, he says, and don't think that this is just a drush. Don't think that this is just a nice drush or like a homiletic uh, thing that, uh, that the, the, the Gemara is speaking about, but it's not to be taken literally. And I went out of bounds by saying that to the professor. Because it's pshutai kemashmai. When we say that tamidacham are builders, it's not just a, something to darshan and a shavabrachas or in a shmuz, it's real. It's reality. It's mamish pshutai kemashmai. And he says, if I would ask you, what are the great cities of the world? How do you define a great metropolis? How do you define one of the great major centers of civilization, he said, you would no doubt immediately start saying Moscow and Petersburg, London, Paris. He says, but all of those are really nothing. Those cities that I just mentioned are nothing. They're not even cities, they're villages. Why? Because the Gemara in Megillah and Daphne and Aleph says, 
And we're defining what's an Irgadayla versus what's a little village. And of course, there's nafkaminas about that when, when you lay in the Megillah, as we're familiar with, what day you're allowed to lay in the Megillah on, Yud Aleph, Yud Beis, etc. You have to know how to define what, it, what an Irgadayla is and what, a, and what a regular city is, what a small city is. So he says, what's an Irgadayla? How does the Gemara speak about skyscrapers? The Gemara doesn't speak about population how many people there have to be that live in the ear in order to make it an ear gedayla. It doesn't speak about how many uh, Ubers that there are in the city. It doesn't speak about how many, uh, how many subway systems there are. All the Gemara says is one thing. The way that you're able to define an ear gedayla from Chazal's perspective is kol sheyeshba asara avreichem ha'iskim ha'tayar If there are ten Kyle guys that are sitting in and learning in a base medrash, that defines that city as an Irgadayla. Which means to say that if you have a city like Moscow and there's no Kyle in the whole Moscow, there's no ten people sitting and learning day and night, Tyra Hakadaisha, then that's considered from the Tyra's perspective. It's considered a little village. It's like a backwater town. What are you talking backwater? It's 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 Moscow. That's where the Kremlin is. That's where the the president of of, of Russia lives. That's where they have the nuclear bombs. That's where they have the these military parades. There's millions of people that live there. How can you call that a a, a backwater town? Because there's no Asara that are sitting and learning Torah. If you don't have a million of people learning Torah, then from the Torah's perspective, it's an Ir Ketana, it's a Kfar, it's a little village. And then you have a little city like Bnei Brak. You have a little city like Radin, which was the Chavetz Chaim city. Was a, if you go to Radin, Radin is like if you blink as you're driving through Radin, you'd miss the whole city. Mamish, a little darf, it's a little, a little hamlet. How many people lived in Radin already? It was a little, mamish, a little city. But from the Torah's perspective, there were Asara, there was a minion of Asara that were sitting and learning. You have the Chafetz Chaim in Radin. You have in Bnei Brak, at the, at the time that the Panovich Rav lived there, it was a very, very small city before he built it up. It was a, if you see pictures of Bnei Brak, you could look online, look up postcards of early Bnei Brak. And mamish looks like a farm. It was a farm. It was an industrial, it was uh, an architectural settlement. It was uh, uh, um, an agricultural settlement. It was nothing before it was starting to be built up. It was like Mamasha, one, one road in the middle and a few little houses. But that was an Irgadayla. Even at its earliest stages, if they have a million of people sitting and learning, it's an Irgadayla. And so the Panabit Shurab said, that Panovich, that, that, that Bnei Brak is not Staman and Ir, it's an Ir Bira, it's a capital city. It's a capital. Tel Aviv, which is right next to Bnei Brak, which doesn't, let's say at the time, and I don't know, today, today they probably, I'm sure, do have yeshivas and, and, um, and Kailim in Tel Aviv, but at the time it was... It might have been a much bigger city. It was the capital of Eretz Yisrael, but it was not uh, an Yerkedayla. And the capital city of Eretz Yisrael, from the Panevich perspective and from the Rebbein perspective, 
B'nai Brak, it's an Irabira, that would be a bold letter city. So he says, what I said to the, to this professor, says the Panamit was not just Tham, it wasn't just to, uh, to deflect him and to get him out of my system and, uh, and to avoid his, uh, his interrogation of me. I meant it literally. When I'm saying that the Bacharim that are learning in Panavish, that the Talmidim, that the Avrechim that are in our yeshiva are contractors, they're builders. As Chazal say, I meant it. That's exactly what they are. They are builders. They're building the Kremlin. They're building Buckingham Palace. They're building Eiffel Tower. Why? Because they're learning Tyra. When a person is able to learn Tyra, that enables a person to create cities that stand La'aylam Bad. We're creators, we're builders. Now, we don't see the buildings that we build. We think we're just sitting and learning every day. We think that we're, you know, we're, we're with our chavrusa, with our gemaras, and uh, not doing, uh, I don't remember it so well, I didn't chapshir that much. We don't understand, because that's part of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's plan in this world. He doesn't show us all that we're doing, because if everyone would know what we're doing, we would be able to, um, you know, everyone would want to be learning Torah day and night. But what we're doing is we're building tremendous architectural wonders, every word of Tyra that we say, every svara that we utter, every, every, every daf that we chazer, whatever we're doing, we're building palaces of Tyra. Chavetz Chaim used to say along these lines that in the map of the world, if you pull out a map of the world, you would see these major capitals, Washington, D.C., and New York, and uh, London, and Paris, and those are big words. Paris is like, you know, bolded with a star by it, because those are the major cities in this world. But he says, if you would see the map of this world in heaven, it would be a completely different map. The cities of Paris and Moscow, those are just regular, that's the same size font and, uh, and the same color font as, uh, as Hoboken, New Jersey. There's no difference between them. But Bnei Brak and Radin and Volozhin and, uh, and, and Sadiger and Brisk and, uh, and all of the great cities in the world of Tyra, the Tyradika cities... Those are cities that are, are of major, major import. Those are the ones that are big letters, highlighted, bolded with, with a star by it, because those are the capital cities in Shemayim. From Shemayim's perspective, it's a different world. The problem is that we are so enamored by this world that we live in that we, we believe that, uh, that we start believing it. We start thinking that you know, the world that we live in is, uh, is the world that, that we live in. And the perspective that Gaim have of the world should be our perspective of the world. And if anyone tells you differently, then you're crazy. If somebody says to you that, uh, that the city of, uh, I don't know, Venezuela, that, that one of the world capitals, big cities, very famous, important cities in the world, somebody says to you that that's, uh, that, that, that's uh, it's nothing, it's a little backward or tiny thing, the guy's crazy. Somebody says Moscow is like a little village. Uh, what do you, 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 you're just like uneducated. 
And if there, and then if somebody would say that the city of Olajin, you know, or, or Kotsk, or one of the small some of the small cities in Europe, those are little bad. That that's a major capital. You think this guy's really off the wall? But when you go up to Shamayim, you see that that's exactly the way it is. That's the truth. The truth is that the big cities are nothing, and the small cities are the great cities, because they have Tyra, they have Binyanim. What's what's really happening is you're building things for for posterity, for eternity. I saw on, on, on Yantiv, on Sukkot, so we lained Kaihelis. And Kaihelis is a very, uh, it's a beautiful work. It's so full of Chachma. It's a little depressing because it sort of, uh, you know, dismisses this whole world as Havel Havalim. And so everything that you think is real, whatever you want to do in life, besides for learning Taira, is sort of, you know, Shlema Melch sort of says there's nothing to this, nothing to that. It's Hakalavel. All the money, all the power, all the the wives and the and the, the vineyards and the and the fun and the games, everything is nothing. So it's sort of a little depressing, and that's why we lean on sukkahs to to get a reality check of what zman simchasena should really be. But there's a pasuk there that caught my eye this year, and the pasuk says, if you want to look it up yourself, it's in Perak Tes Psukim Yudala to Tesvav. And it says as follows, Ir Kitana, there is a small city, Vanashim Ma'at, there's only a few people living in that city. Uba Ela Melach Gadol, and a very big king comes, this um, Vaisa, and he surrounds the city, Ubana Allah Mitsudim Gedailim. And he builds around it like great towers, meaning he makes like a skyline around this city. He takes a little island like Manhattan, and he builds huge buildings on it. He builds huge buildings on the skyline. And what happens then? In this city, there is a little yidula, like a very, like a not very impressive, a small... A uh, very wise man, an old wise man comes, and he basically and he saves the city with his chachma. So again, what happens is that there's a, a, a city, a big powerful king comes, he builds all types of fortifications and towers and skyscrapers, and then a little zakin comes a little Ishmiskein v'chacham comes and he saves the whole city with his chachma. And Chazal, of course, say that what the Pshat in this Pasuk is, is that the Melech, this king that comes, this powerful king that comes and builds all types of fortifications for the city and takes it over and besieges it, he's the Yetzirah. And the Melech Chacham is the Yetzirah type. So the Yetzirah comes and he builds all types of impressive binyanim. And the Yetzir HaTayv comes with his Chachma and he basically saves the city without firing a single gun, without a single bullet being fired. He saves the city with his wisdom. 
What is going on in this Pasuk? How do you save a city with your wisdom without any army? If, if you want to take back a city, you gotta you gotta get some Uzis together. You gotta get some uh, major uh, major gun power powder power and uh, and rifles and uh, bombs and uh, I don't know. You gotta you gotta do your job. How is a chacham able to save a city without firing a single weapon? So the great granat, the granat was the Rosh Hashiva of Radin, the city that we were talking about today. Rav Naftali Trapp. Rav Naftali Trapp was a Gain Adir. He was, uh, I guess, a little bit eclipsed by the fact that the Chavetz Chaim was in, in the city of Radin. It was technically the Chavetz Chaim's yeshiva, but obviously the fact that the Chavetz Chaim hired the Granat as his Rosh Hashiva speaks volumes as to the greatness of who this man was. But the Granat is quite famous in the Eilamah Yeshivas. They use his, his Sefer uh, a lot. And Mipia Shmua, I have a sefer that says that we have a, an oral tradition from the Granat that he explained this Pasig in Kaheles in the following beautiful way. He says, Mashal brings a mashal of let's say a person was taken captive and the captors put this captive on an island so that he won't escape. And this person sees all around, and this captive looks around, and he sees that there's water all around. He's like on a little island, and there's water surrounding him, and he knows that he's trapped. He doesn't have a boat. He's not a good swimmer. Who knows where the closest body of land is going to be? So he doesn't even try. He basically knows, and he sees that he's trapped. From all sides, there's water. And one day, he says, you know what, let me take a little swim. If I can't get out of here, at least let me enjoy the island a little bit. So he starts putting his foot in the water, but he realizes that it's not water. It's just more land. You ever drive on a highway and you, you see like what, it's like an optical illusion, like it looks like there's water on the, on, the, on the pavement, on the road, but then you realize that it's not really, it's not water at all, it just looks like water. So that's basically what this guy was going through. He was under the impression that there was water all around the island, but really it wasn't. It was just in his mind, and once he started walking, he realized that this was all just an illusion. It was all a chizas enayin, it was just like a, like a magic trick. And he wasn't a captive at all. Says the Granat, that's what Shlema Melch meant in this Pasi in Kayelas, that there's an ir there's an Irkatana. It was a small city, and this king built these magnificent fortifications, these these fortresses, these these very tall, strong buildings. What does this Chacham come along? This Ish Miskein Mechacham. He comes along, and he saves the whole city. You know how he saves the city, because he's able to say that there is really no fortifications at all. What the king put up is really all just a mirage. It's an illusion. It seems like it's real, but it's not really real. And that's how you're able to save an entire city with your chachma. If a person is able to look beyond all that glitters in the great metropolis, metropolises of the world 
and you're able to not go and be so impressed by all of the great structures, but instead be impressed by the yeshivas and the and the kailim and the beis yakovs and the and the chadarim. Then you're that ish miskein v'chacham that's able to save the cities. Rabbi Shmuel Birnbaum, the great Rosh Hashiva of Mir, who was the Sarah Taira, he was uh, an amazing Talmud Chacham, and his Hasmada knew no bounds. But once they took him into Midtown Manhattan, for whatever reason, I guess he had a meeting, and he looks around, he stands on the streets of Midtown Manhattan, and he looks around at all the skyscrapers. Now most of the people, when you come to uh, Midtown Manhattan, and you see for the first time all of these big skyscrapers, it's a very impressive thing. If you ever go to, um, you know, go if, you, if you'd ever happen to be in midtown Manhattan, and um, you'd see like, uh, you know, during time, not corona times, but you'd see a ton of, uh, of like Asians, Asian tourists, I don't know, they love touring, the Japanese or uh, Chinese, I don't know, they're, if you go to the Kaisal, they're snapping pictures there. Wherever you go, there's always people, tourists, and, and very often they're Asians. If you see the Asians and, you know, tourists that come from Japan, and now they're in, in Midtown Manhattan, they're taking pictures of every building, and of course, the Empire State Building, and uh, the Freedom Tower, or the Liberty, whatever they call it, and the Statue of Liberty, all of these great structures that's very impressive. So if Shmuel Birnbaum looks around at all these buildings, one block after another, just as far as the eye can see, and then you look up and they're all, one is taller than the other, and you wonder how these buildings are put up, and Shmuel Birnbaum starts laughing. He physically starts to laugh. And he says, this is what people think is impressive? This is what people go crazy of. This is what people are coming from all over the world to see and to take pictures of. This is what people are spending millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to try to buy these buildings and to build bigger buildings and higher buildings and, and fancier buildings and more glass and more steel and more. He says, this is, this is what's considered chashev in the world. And he was physically laughing because from Shmuel Berman's perspective, he was the ish Miskain v'chacham, that's able to save the whole city. If we'd listen to Rabbi Shmuel Birnbaum, we'd be able to understand that the that what the world considers to be a city is not what a yid considers to be a city. When Rabbi Shmuel Birnbaum would go into a kailal, wherever it may be, that would be chashub to him. It could be a kailal in Kansas City. It could be a kailal in uh, in in some far lying city in Eretz Yisrael, in a in a in some moshav somewhere. Or it could be a kailal in 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 Mexico City, or in Lander College. That's chashuv. That's what that's what makes a a city great. But the big structures and the the landmarks and all of this, that's not impressive to a Talmud Chacham. Because the Torah's definition of a city is not how big, how many people, how many subways, how, many, how, 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 how great the, the structures are, how old, historic. That's not important to a Tamachacham or to the Torah. All the Torah considers an Irgadayla to be is it, are there Asara people that are sitting and learning. Those are the builders of society. Whether we understand that or not, but the greatness that the world possesses is not in the fortifications that are built, are not the buildings, the structures, the landmarks, 
but it's the fact that Yidin are sitting around the world and learning Tyra. Those are Al-Tikra Banayach El Banayach. And with all of this as a backdrop, I think we can understand a little bit going back to the first city in the Tyra. The city was called Chanaich. Why was the city called by his son's name Chanaich? Because the purpose of a city, what makes a city great, and what gives a city permanence is the Chinuch that's given to the children and to the, and to the Talmidim that live in that city. You know, there are many great cities in America that had very big promise, and I'm not talking about the Gaisha cities, I'm talking about Jewish cities that at one point had very, very big Jewish communities, prominent communities. There were cities dotting the entire fruited plain of America. When people came off the boat, they didn't all just crowd into Williamsburg or the Lower East Side. A lot of them went out of the city. Sometimes the government would want to populate the rest of the country, so the government sent Jews and others to different parts of the country. So there were great Tamid Racham that were sitting and learning and, and leading very, you know, nice cities, nice Jewish cities. In Oklahoma, in Alabama, in Indiana, there were, there were, there were a lot of these states that we don't, even, we don't associate in any which way necessarily to being Jewish. At one time, there were prominent Jewish communities there. We have pictures of, uh, of Ramesh Mardachai Epstein, who was in, I think, Tulsa, Oklahoma. They, they took a very beautiful picture of Meishu Mardachai Epstein, who was a Rashiv in Slabatka. And what was he doing in Tulsa, Oklahoma? There, was a very, there were wealthy Jews that lived there, and he went there to fundraise. Do any Jews live today in Tulsa, Oklahoma? I don't think so. I might be wrong. But I don't think that... I never heard of a, of a Jewish community in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And there are many... There's Tucson, Arizona, and there is many... I'm, you know, if I say more cities, I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate mail, that uh, we have a very big community here. There were cities in America that did not, that, that were very, very powerful, Jewish communities with beautiful shuls, beautiful shuls. If you see pictures, you look, they're, they're, if you look in history books, there are big shuls, not just in Borough Park. There are shuls, like architectural wonder shuls in, in many big cities in this country. What happened to those communities? You know what happened to them? They died. The Jewish communities died in those cities. You know why they died? Because they were very busy building shuls. They built gorgeous shuls. They hired very, you know, fancy chazanim and rabbis, but they didn't build the yeshiva. There were no yeshiva, so they sent their kids to public school or some other private schools, but they didn't build yeshivas. And ten times out of ten times, when you have a city and you don't build the yeshiva, there will be no kiyom to that city. It's a known thing. Just because you have beautiful places to daven, if you're not providing an education, a chinuch, for the next generation, then you're dead. Because the children will not stay there. They will either assimilate or they'll move elsewhere, but they don't, there's nothing keeping them there. And so the only way that a city maintains its ability to be a city 
is if you have a chinuch that's provided to the city. The very first city in the Torah is called Chanoich because what defines a city is the chinuch that's given out there. And I don't just mean the yeshivas that are built, the chadarim and the yeshivatan, the Jewish day schools, but there's a, a, a more broad chinuch as well. Somebody famous once wrote a book that it takes a village to raise a child. And there's a lot of truth. I didn't read the book, but there, at least the title itself, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Because a child is raised by a village. All of the formative years of a child is educational for that child. And if a child is able to see... I remember I grew up in a city called Long Beach. It was a relatively small city. It wasn't as far as... Uh, you know, relative to the big cities of uh, the five towns, which isn't so far from Long Beach or uh, Brooklyn or Queens or, uh, or Lakewood. Cities in, in New Jersey, of course, Teaneck. And, uh, you know, relative to those big communities, Long Beach is a very small city. But in the world of Tyra, from, from Shemaim's perspective, I think Long Beach was a very great city in certain ways because it had a, a very fine elementary school, and then it had a very famous high school in Beis Madrash there, and it still does. Um, and the Rabbanim there were very great. I had a, one of the Rabbanim that I had growing up as a child. Uh, I didn't realize who he was at the time. I thought he was just a, a regular rabbi, but he, it turned out he was one of the Paiskim of America. He was, uh, his name was Eliezer Kanov, Blazer Kanov. He was Rashiv of Tarvadas. He was a Gain Adir. He was a tremendous, tremendous guy. And at the time, I didn't, I didn't understand what he was saying. You know, he was, he was like, a, like a real guy. He wasn't a, a polished rabbi, you know, with all the fancy words and, the, and always the great stories and the sports uh, mashalim and everything. He was a Rav. He was a real old-time Rav. So I didn't appreciate him at the time. But just seeing the demus of, of, a, of a real Tamar Chacham made a, a very profound impression on me. And then there were even the Balabatim in Long Beach, the very Chashva Balabatim, one of the Balabatim was, uh, he was the head of the Vat Hatzalah, saving Jews from, uh, from war-torn Europe, whatever he was able to save together with Aaron Cutler. And then there were presidents of great organizations that lived in Long Beach. And you saw a lot of very, very impressive people, and even a lot of the simple Jews that lived in Long Beach were people that were Tamid Chachamim and they learned and they were Kaveh Itim. All of that creates a certain impression on a young child's mind. What Rav Hirsch says about how an ear, how, a, how city life is able to arouse a person's creativity, I think what he means is not the creativity of to be an architect or to be a doctor or to be a lawyer, to be, you know, that that's the type of creativity that a city life, that's, that's maybe if you live in midtown Manhattan, that's what you want to do. But if you're able to, to live in a city that has asara avrechem, ten avrechem that are sitting and learning, 
and other people that are going about their business, but they're also kaveitim and they're tamid and they're aspiring. And on Shabbos, my father used to, you know, have a chavrusa every Shabbos and during the week. And my father would learn every day, every night over his gemara, even though he was a very busy man with a with a business to run and everything. He was. Those are the things that you see that make a deep impression on a person. It awakens, it arouses a person to want to be a Talmud Chacham, to want to be a good Jew. It does take a village. Everyone in the village, even though it's considered a, a, it's looked at as a village, but these are really great metropolises. These are great cities. That if a person's able to see and observe and live in such a town that has great role models and great inspirational people, it's ma'ira a person, the ear is ma'ira a person to try to attain a certain degree of greatness themselves. What is an ear? How do you define a city? Well, before we started today's shmuz, you would define a city based on how big its Rishos HaRabim is, or how, how, how many cars it has, or how many buildings it has, how many, how, how many uh, landmarks does it have. Maybe there's some historical thing, you know, involved with it. Maybe it had uh, Gettysburg or, uh, or one, one of these, uh, you know, cities that you drive down on the I-95 when you go down to Baltimore and every, every rest stop is a different historical place and they have a whole matzeba to what happened in those cities. Maybe that's how some people define what a city is. And maybe that's how we would define what a city is before the schmooze. But the Torah says in the very first place that it says what a city is, it says a city is chanaych. The way that you define a city is what type of chinuch is it giving the children? Does it have a system of, of chinuch? Is there a good yeshiva katana that was built there? Is there a good base medrash there? Is there a kailo there? Is there? Are there shuls? Are there, are there aspiring balabatim? What type of role models are there? What are the people there want to be? What are they? Are they growing? That's a city. That's the type of this iris that a city should be able to give. The juices should flow in a city, but not the type of juices of creativity that the Gayim consider to be chashuv. But a Yid's creativity is Taira, mitzvahs. A child that comes out of that city, is he inspired by that city? Do you look back on the city that you grew up as a place that that was a good place for me to, to marinate as a child, or was that a waste of time? That was, uh, I wish I had lived anywhere else but that city. Now, we can't look back in time, we can't change where we grew up, but we can understand going forward that Amir Hashem, when we get married and when we have children of our own, and we want to raise them, where are we going to raise them? I want to look, what's the number one place that I should be looking for? So, you know, am I looking for, uh, even Gayim, when they look for a place uh, to buy real estate, to buy a home, one of the main things they're looking for is the, the school system. Is it a good public school system there? Lahavdil, a Yid should be looking, is this a place that my child could grow? Is there a chinuch here? What type of yeshivas are there? Is my, is my wife going to be happy here? Is are the women growing here? Are the men growing here? Are the, uh, is a yantav a yantav and a Shabbos a Shabbos? Are there shiurim? What does Sundays look like in the local base medrash? Are, are there yomiyuns? Are there, are, is there, is Tyra the main thing? Or is other things the main thing? Are the Rabbanim real and, and solid and, and, and very dedicated to the children's upbringing in the town?
These are things that would determine what a city is, as far as a Ben Taira is concerned. Cities should not be chosen by how big they are, how much money I can make if I move to this town versus that town. That's a consideration. But the main driving factor of where I should live, where I should set my roots, is a place that I can ensure that there's a chinuch, that the city is chanoich, that there's a chinuch, that the, what's my, my child's creativity will be inspired by Torah, by mitzvahs. And mitzvah Hashem, when we do that, then we could ourselves have a, uh, a beautiful mishpacha, raised children that we're proud that are proud B'nai Taira, proud members of Klal Yisrael, and amidst Hashem, we should all have a beautiful Shabbos.